Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, I know you want to get to the podcast, so I'm going to keep this short. Opera Box Score needs your donation to retain its title as America's talk radio show about opera. You can give on our website, operaboxscore.com slash donate. When you throw even 10 bucks our way, it helps us promote the show to more listeners. Just 20 bucks helps cover our website costs. Chip in 50 bucks and we can pay to wax Tobias's back. But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, Let's get ready to rumble! Wherever you are... However you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined this week by Oliver Camacho. We are live on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, and streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop-up. 847-866-WNUR is the number in studio. Hey, be one of our listeners who gets to have their say on the air. Call us, 847 866 9687. All right, many of America's big opera houses have released details of their 2017 2018 seasons at this point. Dallas, Houston, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Seattle, Washington, D.C. We tell you why they programmed what they did, what productions you need to see, and what you can take a pass on. Later on, Oliver plays Monday Evening Quarterback and reviews the current production of Bellini's Norma at Lyric Opera of Chicago. And, of course, you get all your opera headlines and our hot takes on them in the two-minute drill. This is a packed show. This is a really, really packed show. Oliver Camacho, it's been a while. How are you? It's only been one week that I wasn't here. It felt like an I don't eternity. know what happened to the rest of the cast. They all kind of abandoned us, so... Well, we're, we're looking for new co-hosts, everybody. We're not. <laughs> D- Dine is in rehearsal, yeah. and um, you know Tobias is out of town on a gig. So yeah, I saw um, Giovanna yesterday. Actually, she she okay. was uh, one of the producers of the annual Schubertiad at Pianoforte Foundation. Mm-hmm. So I got to catch up with her a little bit. She did a great job. She was looking beautiful as always. She and always I, looks beautiful. Yeah, that's her problem. I wonder, like, when she wakes up first thing in the morning, though. She, just, she... she just wakes up sexy, yeah. Probably. Yeah. Um, I also saw Amber Carter there. Amber was volunteering at the Piano <laughs> Foundation, so it was like a little opera box score reunion. Am- Amber Carter, hardest working sound technician in showbiz. <laughs> no, no, the hardest working sound technician in opera podcasting. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's yeah. exactly and right. And radio broadcasting. Uh, I assume, Oliver, you watched uh, the Australian Open. So I got no sleep these past two weeks because those matches, they yeah. start like at 8 o'clock at night. That's like their okay. morning session. Right. And like the night session is like 3 o'clock in the morning. Right. So this weekend was a fin- uh, week- finals weekend, championship weekend, that was straight out of the aughts. Um, Serena Williams versus her sister Venus Williams. We haven't mm-hmm. seen that in a long time. Right. And uh, Roger Federer against Rafael Nadal. It was amazing. I gave him up for dead. I thought his tennis career had was really over when he tanked at Wimbledon in the last couple of years. Who? Roger Federer. <sighs> do you even watch tennis? I do watch tennis. I watch okay. Wimbledon. Okay. He's, I mean, until uh, his loss uh, at Wimbledon this year, he's been in the top four. Okay. For whatever, 20 years. At but, least in the top four, if not number one. I under- you know how hard it is to be in the top four? Very hard. <laughs> yeah. Of anything in so, the world? Yeah. Well, I mean... Chess. To, to, you know, say that he's finished and to have him to have exited the sport for a couple of months with an injury at number four is that's true. Really he was he was injured. He played, I thought Rafael Nadal was one who was, we're not going to see more because he is so hard on his body that I would just thought that his knees were going to give out altogether. He's going to like they're going the kneecap's going to fly off one day. We're just going to see him like walking around like a tennis is so punishing on your knees. You play tennis, right? No, I like watching it. What's what sport do you play? Uh, chess. No. I mean, like, physical activity. You go to the gym. I go to the gym, yeah. I mean, I mostly just hang out in the steam room, so. <laughs> You've got a right forearm as big as uh, But anyway, um, okay, You're right-handed? Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer is definitely like the Kunst versus Stimm of mm-hmm. opera. Like, well Rafael put. Nadal is amazing. I won't take anything away from him. Plus, he's Hispanic, so I got to, like, La Raza, you know? Mm-hmm. 
but he's just so athletic and I feel like he's like he's the jock, you know. He's amazing. He's got a great attitude, but he's a he's very jockish. Is there anyone and, and Roger Federer is the artist. Roger Federer is like elegant and like you always could tell that he's breathing really beautifully and like his movements are beautiful and like he's always looks like he's ready to take a picture, you know, like to be photographed, you know. Whereas Rafael makes the ugliest <laughs> <laughs> You should see this you know, man's face. Yeah. Like and nothing. he's always picking his butt, too. because Ooh, that's his, nice. Because he's got really beautiful legs. I've given that. Like, he's got gorgeous legs and very pronounced uh, buttocks, gluteus maximus. Is he hairy? Uh, I don't think so. No. no, I think he's pretty smooth, yeah. And those so, guys, so those his, guys don't wax, though. His like underwear sweaters. is always getting wedged. Yeah. He suffers from el wedjo. Yeah, that's what they call it. In, in Spain, in, yeah. In Barcelona. Yeah. Uh, Serena Williams. Yeah. Is is she the best female player in the game right now? She's the best player of all time. She's maybe the greatest athlete ever. Better than Navratilova? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Better Easy. than Steffi Graf? She just exceeded Steffi Graf's titles. Dang, you win. really yeah. do know your stuff on tennis. Yeah. No, Serena Williams <laughs> might be the greatest athlete of all time. All right, let's talk some opera so I can tell you some things that I know. Oh, yeah. Like last week when you are by yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I liked that show last week. Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> Drink! <laughs> Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. All right, all over the country, opera houses have been announcing their seasons. Uh, here on Opera Box Score, we're going to take you through some of the, the stuff that you need to know. So all these houses we're talking about today, these are all level one opera houses, which is the classification that Opera America, the umbrella organization of opera in the United States, hands out. So these are opera companies that have a budget uh, an annual budget of $10 million or more. So these are the big guys. Nice. Metropolitan Opera has not yet announced. There's a lot of hearsay, but we don't do hearsay on this show. Lyric Opera of Chicago has also not announced. We could do a whole show probably just on on them. But this is going to be, uh, well, it's certainly going to be furious. I don't know if it's going to be fast. It'll probably take us through half the show. So what is, why are the opera announcements so important? Uh, to me, they set the tone for the season that's coming up. You know, what works are going to be popular this coming season? What companies are pushing the envelope? What kind of overlap is there in the repertoire that's being programmed? So what are the common flavors that we're seeing? What are the flavors that are not being eaten this year? <laughs> Imagine opera is like a Baskin-Robbins, basically. I don't even think of another art form that has everything planned out quite like this. When I think of like Steppenwolf season announcement or the Goodman season announcement, there's never the kind of pomp and circumstance, the big press conferences, the live streamed interviews that these American opera houses do to say nothing of the European ones. Those European season announcements, those are, those are like basically parties. Okay. So, I don't think there's another art form except for opera that really announces their seasons. Like well, then that. you have like, just to bring it back to sports, like the NFL picks, like the draft pick, like where they make like a three-day event out of it. Like that is more epic than <laughs> than any opera yeah, season announcement. That's true. It's not a performing art, the sport, sports. But I, I do get but, your point. But this is opera box score, man. I know. We're trying to show the relationship between all these. I'm things, with you, know? you, baby. I'm it's with like, you 100. Uh, percent So I wanted to go alphabetically. Oliver wanted to go chronologically and he won no, the, I wanted to go ge the, geographically geographically he yeah. won the he won the pre-show coin toss so let's start with Seattle okay so Seattle season I'm gonna go to their season overview here we go there so I have to say just like generally what I've been look, noticing in this uh roundup or this announcement of seasons uh, of all these companies yeah. Aida and Electra are getting a lot of play this year in various yep. houses two productions each of the opera houses that we're looking at um, the Aida, uh, which comes at the end of the season at Seattle of 2017-18, will feature Lea Crocetto. Uh, I'm not sure if it's her debut, but it probably would be uh, in the role of Aida, one of the mm -hmm. most difficult roles in the repertoire. And Lea Crocetto is a rising, you know, dramatic soprano. She's got a gorgeous, gorgeous instrument. She's still quite young, so this is a pretty intense assignment for her. But she's going to do amazing. She's going to knock it out of the park. I worked with her at Pittsburgh Opera. I was an AD on the production of La Boheme, where mm -hmm. she sang Mimi. She was great. She's Her voice is, like, sick. Really good. You know? Too bad the production is such a dud. This is the one that uh, the scenic <laughs> design is designed by this street artist called Retina. Okay, yeah. If you look at the photos, yeah. 
they but will they burn like, a hole in your retina. But they have um, Jessica Lange as the choreographer, like the not the Jessica. No, Lange. not not the actress <laughs> Jessica Lange, but the contemporary choreographer, contemporary dance choreographer Jessica Lange, who's pretty amazing. So I'm I'm interested in seeing if I can get to Seattle for the yeah. sake of the. Yeah. Of the choreography there. But the show that caught my attention, because I'm a big fan of this opera in general, mm. is the Cosi Fantute. Okay. Because what a great thing to happen. Uh, they are casting two of the Costa Jackson sisters. So Marina Costa Jackson and Ginger Costa Jackson will play the roles of Fiordalici and Dorabella, mm-hmm. which is great. I think that's great. And they're such gorgeous girls. And they're so nice. And they've got beautiful voices. So I'm really into that. Uh, the other show, oh, and Ben Bliss is in that. Ben Bliss Ferrando. He's been getting a lot of uh, attention in the opera world for I don't know what. I mean, he's great. He's handsome, nice guy. But yeah, I've been reading a lot about Ben Bliss lately, yeah. uh, the tenor. But the show that I'm really excited about is not going to take place in their main stage. It's going to be one of their uh, kind of off-campus shows, like in the in the trenches or in the in the experimental in the garages wing. or in the yeah. dun- in the. What am I looking for? Uh, you know, a garage like when you go clubbing. And you, Bridge and Tunnel. There you go. The Bridge and Tunnel show. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy about clubbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By yeah. The way. Uh, they're doing a show called The Combat, which is going to be three short Baroque pieces performed in a steam factory. Right up your alley, dude. Steam, Baroque, you know, loose towels. That's awesome. So here's what I love about this Seattle season. While the individual titles are not inspiring to me, mm-hmm. There are a lot of company debuts when you look at the rosters mm-hmm. this year. And what that shows me is that this is a company that is really investing in new singers. Yeah. And that they're excited to bring in new people that they haven't worked with. I would love for them to be investing in some new directors and some new designers <laughs> as well. And I'm not saying yeah. that because I want to be there. I'm no, saying no, no, that no, because... No. You've got kids a, here in a, Chicago. A, a, a lot of these names just, you know, have been around. Jonathan Miller, who's directing the Cozy Fantute, great director, but... You know, we moved past that. Let's let's go further south then. San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought this was a real mixed bag of a season. Puccini's turned out. It's the David Hockney design production, yeah. which is old. like block colors, <laughs> yeah. old. Um, La Traviata, the John Copley production. That's an old chestnut. Uh, Manon by Massenet. But two really interesting productions. First of all. Electra, directed by Keith Warner, brilliant British director, where the piece is set in a modern museum, and he writes, a girl is going through and reading about Sophocles' Electra and Carl Jung's Electra complex. The artifacts and information trigger a series of memories in her, and we go back into her story. That's Keith Warner talking about the production. That, to me, super, super exciting. It's Opera Box Score yeah. on WNUR. And they're also doing... FM. They're doing a world premiere of Girls of the Golden West, not to be confused with Puccini's Girl of the Golden West or the hit TV show The Golden Girls. This is Girls of the Golden West by John Adams. That's exactly the other piece, which is really exciting to me. John Adams, a new opera, of course, um, he of Nixon in China fame, among other pieces, directed by Peter Sellers. Now, last week on the show, I was talking to Kevin Newbery, by the way, if you haven't gone back and listened to the archive, operaboxscore.com, of that show, go listen to the Kevin Newbery interview. You are not going to hear a more articulate man talk about opera. I called him the most important director working in America today. And the reason I said that, and I didn't say Peter Sellers, was because I was talking about this country. Peter Sellers is now at the level where he has a much bigger international career. That man, Peter Sellers, though, he is so smart. I would love to see this piece. I think the idea is totally wacky. It's a libretto by Peter Sellers drawn from period sources like uh, speeches by civil rights champion Frederick Douglass, poetry of miners during the 49er period, digging for gold in the hills of San Francisco. And he talks about this piece, Peter Sellers, that the true stories of the 49ers are overwhelming in their heroism, passion, and cruelty, telling tales of racial conflicts, colorful and humorous exploits, political strife, and struggles to build a new life and to decide what it would mean to be American. Really wish I could see this show. We've got a little sound clip, don't um, we? A couple more things before we get to the sound clip. Go ahead. Um, Carita Matila will be singing Zieglinda in their production of uh, Die Valkyrie. I'm curious to see how that goes. Carita Matila has sort of been transitioning into the kind of 
uh, character roles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her voice is starting to show its age and she's still an amazing performer. So something as, you know, lyrical and important um, in terms of the vocal beauty necessary as Zeglinda is a little bit of a surprise to me, but go for her. Good for her. Um, they are doing uh, Electra. We just mentioned that with Christine Gerke, and Christine Gerke has performed Electra here in Chicago. It's amazing. Yeah. But what actually is really exciting about this particular production is that it will be the role debut of Stephanie Blythe in the role of Electra's mother, Clytemnestra, which should be awesome. I mean, that is a crazy lineup. Yeah. Those two women. Yeah. Doing that show. That will like blow your ears out. It will. Uh, but we're going to listen to a little clip of Michael Fabiano uh, singing uh, a little bit of the Saint Suplice scene from Manon. I got to give it to this guy. I mean, I heard him sing Don Carlo on the radio a couple mm-hmm. of months ago. He has that really old fashioned Italianate. He almost sounds like young Jose Carreras. It's pretty mm-hmm. insane. Uh, this is from a concert. I don't know when or where I found it on YouTube. But let's listen to a little bit of Michael Fabiano singing Saint Suplice from Manon. J'avais écrit sur le sable, sur He, he really does sound a lot like Jose Carreras. It's kind of insane. We're trying to get him on the show, actually. Really? And interview him. Really? I'm talking to his people about that. I you're, think that would be awesome. You're kidding me, right? I'm not kidding you. Hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not kidding you. So San Francisco Opera, they do like a fall semester or a fall season, and then they do a summer season. So in 2018, they're doing a full ring cycle, bringing it back from the earlier incarnation at San Francisco Opera from 2011. That's also directed by... Francesca Zambello, who is the artistic director at Washington National Opera. We'll get to that opera house in a little bit, as well as the Glimmerglass Festival. Cool. Let's let's move further south. We've got a couple minutes before the break. We should start the rundown at L.A. Opera. In my opinion, L.A. Opera is really, truly going to be become the most important opera house in America. Wow. It First of all, it is situated in such a unique geographic part of this country and a unique cultural part of this country where you have a lot of white people, a lot of black people, a huge Hispanic population, and a huge Asian population that has come over across the Pacific. This is Peter Sellers' idea, by the way, who I mentioned earlier, is that all these Who is not the greatest uh, stage director living today? Uh, oh, the most well, important one. What was your qualifier? Uh, <laughs> working solely in America. Oh, okay. Um, Here's the thing. I just think L.A. Opera is doing everything right Mm. at this moment. A good balance of old and new in their rundown, a great young artist program, a resident composer, and Matthew O'Coin. We'll get to him in a second. Here's the thing. The only thing you can't be in L.A., there's only one thing you can't do in L.A. You cannot be boring. That city is so exciting. There's so much going on that if you're boring, no one pays attention to you. And when you look at the programming at L.A., it is definitely not boring. Uh, Pearl Fishers, directed by Penny Wolcock, the English director. A brand new production of Verdi's Nabucco by Thaddeus Strasberger, the German-American director. And some truly wacky programming in their alternate spaces. You want to talk us through the uh, well? Matthew I mean, o- we almost piece? we almost got there. We, uh, the Orpheus and Eurydice, which you mentioned in the two minute drill last week. Thank you. With a, a collaboration with Joffrey Ballet here from Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, choreographed by something Neumeyer, Neumeyer. I forget what the guy's uh, name is. John Neumeyer from yeah. the um, Hamburg State Opera. Yeah, um, and Javier Camarena uh, of Metropolitan Opera fame will be singing Pearl Fishers. They're doing a Philip Glass, La Belle et la Bête. Uh, but the show that caught my attention is that of the young Matthew O'Coin, uh, born in 1990. We've talked about talked about him before. He is like the enfant terrible or 
whatever. Not he's not terrible. He's the awful wonderful. <laughs> like everybody loves this guy. He's so bad he's good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, little nerdy guy who's writing operas. Uh, this show, which has already made its premiere, I think maybe in Boston. I forget where. Um, it's called The Crossing, and it's going to be performed one night only. One night only. Uh, he did a lecture recital on this show, and you can find the entire lecture recital. It's about uh, 80 minutes long on the YouTube. Um, we're going to listen to a clip of it. Uh, the Crossing is essentially the story of Walt Whitman. It's based on journals and poetry of Walt Whitman uh, during the Civil War. Uh, there's some kind of homoerotic stuff, like a relationship between him and a soldier that almost crosses the line hmm. of being becoming a physical relationship. And uh, that stuff always gets me very excited. What a brilliant uh, idea this is. <laughs> yeah. Walt Whitman opera. I just yeah. I love it. Let's listen. Uh, we're going to listen to a uh, bass uh, named Devon Tynes uh, with Matthew O'Coin at the piano. This is the piece, The Crossing. What is it, then, between us? That is a clip from the opera The Crossing by Matthew O'Coin coming up at L.A. Opera later this year. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. We have a lot more to get to on our season preview. We're going to finish up L.A. We've got Dallas, Houston, and Washington. Stick around. Live from Chicago. You're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. After a bonfire, and Smokey said the fire wasn't actually out. He said if it's too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. Did you know that nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? No kidding. I'm a forest ranger. We never kid. Sorry. Kidding. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. This year, firefighters will battle thousands of wildfires around the country in hopes of containing them. But a single ember that escapes can travel more than one mile where it can ignite and destroy your home or community. You can't control where the ember will land, only what happens when it does. Prepare, protect, prevail. Get fire adapted. Learn simple steps you could take now to reduce wildfire damage later at fireadapted.org. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. 
Learn more at fireadapted.org. Hello, this is Julia Louis-Dreyfus asking you to join me in helping to protect our national parks. Our parks will celebrate their 100th anniversary in 2016, but these magnificent places from Yosemite to Gettysburg are suffering from numerous challenges such as air and water pollution, development threats outside their boundaries, and inadequate funding. And that's why the National Parks Conservation Association has identified proposed actions to help protect our natural and cultural heritage for future generations. Find out more at www.mpca.org. Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score. George Cedarquist here on WNUR 89.3 FM number in the studio 847-866-9687. We're talking season previews around the country. Let us know what you're looking forward to. I'm hanging out with Oliver Camacho. And Amber Carter. Sound technician. We're talking L.A. opera. Here's a piece which I was fascinated by. This is an opera composed by Gordon Getty, or operas, I should say. It's a double bill. Nice. The Canterville Ghost, which is based on an Oscar Wilde short story, and a piece called Usher House, which is based on the Edgar Allan Poe. Bob House Usher. Uh, poem well it's not really a poem is it it is it is a story it's a short story there's there's a philip glass follow the house usher isn't that's there? exactly yeah. right yeah which i which was done at chicago opera theater it was it was didn't, i don't think i, well, maybe I, I didn't did dislike it. it i remember not disliking it well that's faint praise <laughs> coming from you this piece usher house it it started i think at english national opera and i did a little digging on youtube and found some clips let's just listen to the music first It's hard not to be reminded of Benjamin Britten. I was going to say, like, if you had told me it was Benjamin Britten, I was like, yeah, sure, that's Benjamin Britten. I thought it was. It's being directed by Brian Stauffenbeel. Oh, him? being presented at the Broad stage. Do you know the Broad? It's like bro? No. Okay. It's spelled B-R-O-A-D, like broad. It's pronounced Broad. It is one of LA's most exclusive performing venues. There are big acts, big names of all different disciplines that go through there, but it's only 500 seats. It's like Hmm. the most intimate way to see a performing artist. It's in Santa Monica. Wow. More intimate than the Liederstube? Not that intimate. Okay. No. That is the rundown at L.A. Oh, we should talk really briefly about Persona. Yeah, that this is the really film cool. based on the uh, Ingmar Bergman classic film. This is why I'm interested in it. It's directed by a director called Jay Scheib, mm. who is in his I don't know 40s maybe. I met him when he was when I was in college. Okay, he really pioneered the use of live video feed. Okay. in opera. And if you look at the production, so he's photos, like the Andrew Bird of opera. I don't know who that is. Okay. Just kidding. I know who Andrew Bird is. Okay. If you look at the production photos from this show, there's like three cameras mm-hmm. filming the actors as they yeah. sing and then projecting, tra- projecting yeah. those images. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm making it sound reductive. It's much more complex than that, and it's very startling to watch. Hmm. He is a true auteur director. I would love to see that. So piece. L.A. has got it going on with all the weird bizarro stuff. In my yeah. opinion, they do. Yeah. I think Dallas is also a house that really punches way above its weight, especially it's in the same state as Houston Grand Opera. You know, is Houston's that some kind, kind of sports of, thing? That you just it's not. There, so. Oh, that's a boxing Punching thing. Punching above yeah. its weight. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Houston historically has always dominated, I think, opera in Texas. And now you've got Fort Worth absolutely holding its own. You've got Dallas absolutely holding its own. And if you look at their season, they have some great programming. So... I think we should start with the new stuff as well. The first piece, and again, this is a double bill, both pieces by Korngold, good old Eric Korngold. If you're going to do Korngold, what are you going to do? You're going to do Die Tote Stadt, not in Dallas. They're doing, first of all, a Korngold violin concerto, and then 
an opera of his called The Ring of Polycrates, which is based on a Greek myth. It's being conducted by Emmanuel Villon, directed by Peter Cazares, and designed by Donald Eastman, who Peter and Donald are uh, colleagues of mine. Madmen genius types. I really would love to see this. Let's listen to a little bit of the Korngold music. You're going to hear that blush cinematic score that Korngold was so good at. Let's take a listen to The Ring of Polycrates. That's a mishmash of highlights, we'll call them, from the Korngold piece. I cannot wait to see what Peter Cazares is going to do with that. For me, this is probably the most exciting piece of all the seasons that I looked at. This is an opera called Sunken Garden by the composer Michel van der Ah, with, spelled with two A's, uh-uh. like Aardvark. Yeah. It is based on a short story by, oh gosh, I can't remember the name, somebody Mitchell. And it is basically an occult mystery film opera that fuses film and live performance, including 3D and other visual effects. Started in English National Opera at the Barbican Center in 2013, coming to Dallas, having also been done successfully at the Opera de Lyon. Let's just listen to the music here to start off with, and then we'll, we'll talk about what's so wacky. Even uh, Amber Carter is getting into that one. Wait, is that... Are they singing with microphones in yes. this show? Okay. Yes. But they're legit opera singers. Like Maya Pearson and Roderick, Will- yeah. Roderick Dixon. Legit opera like, singers. Yeah. But I think because all the sounds are being amplified and distorted mm. in a way that, you know, Missy Mazzoli. Yeah, it sounded do. like the soundtrack to Stranger Things, like the opening credits. You haven't watched Stranger Things, have Better you? Than. Okay. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR. Um, a little pet peeve about Dallas Opera. I Actually, I'm really interested in their season. Like you said, it's a very adventurous season. It's Go pretty ahead. cool. But they have like these banner images on their website for each show. Yeah. And they clearly are using pictures of people that are not opera singers uh, to illustrate these operas. And I can get it, like, why you would want these beautiful brown people uh, in the Samson Delilah image. But then you get to La Traviata, and there's this really, really anemic-looking model-type woman who's supposed to be Violetta, I guess. 
But they have Georgia Jarman singing Violetta, who's like a gorgeous mm. woman. Like you could have used Georgia Jarman and it would have been just fine. You're saying it's false advertising. Bit, yeah, and then Don Giovanni, same thing. They have Marius Kvitchen, and we all know that Marius Kvitchen is basically my husband, yeah, right. And I have really good taste, exactly. So, Here, my, my pet peeve with Dallas is that they have a little tagline for their season this year it's Motives Unmasked. Mm. Those taglines always kind of bother me because I feel like they're applicable to virtually anything, especially. I mean, there's every opera has a, an unmasked motive. So I don't. I, I I just like. I think when you do taglines, it's hard to like. You got to really make it really generic, and then you have to like try to fit that into operas yeah. that might not fit into. I don't think the motives unmask. It works for Don Giovanni, and maybe Samson Delilah. Who knows what works for this sunken po- garden? Polycrates probably and not. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you say that. Uh, David Mitchell, by the way, was the librettist for the Michel Vendor ah piece. Let's move on. Houston. I think this is a conservative season. I love this. You season. love you love this. You so love this, this is this, this is the this is. That's why I love you. This is exactly our relationship. Like I want to hear good singing. I want to hear good people in traditional shows. Yeah. <laughs> and this bores you. Yeah. Uh, which is fine. I mean, that's that's why I'm killing opera, and you are the future. Here so. we go. La Traviata, yeah. Giulio Cesare, Electra, Barbara of Seville, West Side Story, Norma. Okay, so. Um, the Norma production they're doing is the same one we have right now, the uh, Kevin Newberry production, with that, I'm not going to say her name correctly, uh, Lyudmila, oh God, I can't even, I have to open up the, the screen first, so I can not do it from memory. Okay, Lyudmila Monastriska, I think that's how you say her name, Monastriska, um, Stierska, but uh, Jamie Barton singing the role of Adel Jesus, which would be awesome. That would be great. Uh, they also have uh, Julius Caesar with Anthony Roth Costanzo, which I'm very excited about. And they are also doing Electra with Christine Gerke, but uh, the uh, sister role, Chrysot- Chrysotemus, or Chrysotemus, is going to be sung by Tamara Wilson, who just won the, J- the James Beard Award, <laughs> the Richard Tucker Award. <laughs> that would be strange. Uh, yeah, and I do know who James yeah, Beard is. She is amazing. So I would, I would definitely want to hear that Chrysotemus. Um, that's a different production of Electra, by the way, that we talked about That's a David earlier. McVicker, though. David McVicker. Yeah, that's what we had in Chicago. First time that it's being done in Houston in 25 years. Electra? Yes. That's a hard role to cast, that's why. Uh, they're doing a Barbara Seville, which is, you know, not so exciting, but what's kind of bizarro is that Eric Owens is singing the role of Don Basilio. I mean, if you're going to spend the money to get Eric Owens, you're going to put him in Don Basilio? I don't know. I mean, like, I'm right. happy that he's doing it. It's great for people going to that show to hear like an amazing amazing do you think he'll bring the funny i don't know i, I, I mean he so. was he was a little funny in ryan gold a little you know and yeah yeah but it's just funny weird not funny <laughs> haha <laughs> but uh no that's I, I don't usually imagine him in that type of role a lot has been made of this production of west side story that's being done at houston grand opera first time it's being done at a major american opera house I just don't get the choice. By the way, it's a co-production with Lyric Opera of Chicago, so it's going to end up in the musical theater slot at the mm. end of each season that Lyric now does. So we will have a shot at it. Yeah. I just think that that is a, sh- a show driven by dance. And I obviously, there is a lot of ballet and a lot of operas. A lot of music theater is driven by I dance. I just so. think it's a surprising choice. I just don't think it's as big a deal. As, they do as this that. as an opera all over the place now. Yeah. West Side Story. What I will say is listening to that score with a full orchestra, that would be amazing. Conducted by Timothy Myers, friend of Opera Now. Hello, Timothy Myers. Over to Washington, D.C. Again, I feel like this is an overly conservative season. Aida, Alcina, that's the first ever production of Handel's Alcina at Washington National Opera. With Angela Mead. And Anne Bogart is directing it, which is just brilliant. And Elizabeth, Elizabeth the Shong as mm-hmm. Ruggiero and Daniela Mack as Bradamante. That's an amazing cast. Yeah, that, for is, that is a great class. Uh, Don Carlo, Barbara of Seville, again directed by Peter Cazares. Man, he's a busy guy this year. And Candide, another Bernstein. Yeah, Bernstein's opera. having a good year. Um, the Don Carlo features once again Jamie Barton. We just mentioned her. Uh, Jamie Barton, the role of uh, the Princess Eboli. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're not familiar with Jimmy Barton singing, it's time, it's time. Let's listen to her sing a little bit of Odon Fatale. This is from a YouTube live concert. Did you not get the last clip, Amber? 
This. Okay, good. We're going to listen to this. Um, it's not amazing sound quality, but you can hear Jimmy Wharton's voice nevertheless. <laughs> seasons as a package three productions of barbara of seville two la traviatas two aidas two candides and two electras i'm surprised that there's so much overlap here i'm very surprised that there's two productions of strauss's electra and i'm very surprised that there's two productions of bernstein's candide here's the other surprise in looking at this lineup Again, these are big houses we're talking about here. There's not a lot of Mozart. Yes, there's a Così Fantute that we mentioned. Yes, there is a Don Giovanni that we mentioned. It seems to me, just my opinion, that perhaps these opera houses, these big houses, are leaving Mozart maybe to more of the mid-sized houses and to their audiences. Now, you can do lots of great interpretation with Mozart. That's the beauty of Mozart, is that it's kind of perfectly built. It's very open to interpretation. But it seems to me that these big houses want to program new repertoire, and they want to program lesser-known repertoire by well-known composers. And Mozart just isn't fitting the bill. So... Let us know what you're thinking. You can always tweet us at Are you mad at Mozart? Oh, I was score. looking at my clips. You're mad at Mozart? What? I'm not mad at Mozart. I'm simply saying I'm surprised that there is so little Mozart programmed through this list of repertoire. It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Opera Box Score at gmail.com is our email address. You can always write to us. We are going to step aside for a short little break. When we come back, you don't want to miss Oliver Camacho goes and plays Monday evening quarterback. Yeah, I'm going to play. All right. We'll see you after the break. Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this. Changing their role forever. Harvard Medical School has now opened its doors to new female applicants. The first woman is now in space. The majority of last year's doctorate degrees were earned by women. We've come so far, but our news is changing for the worse. More women die from heart disease and stroke than men, even though it can be prevented. Make a change at GoRedForWomen.org today. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the American Heart Association's Go Red for Women. What if you were wearing something sexy? What if you were drinking? What if you made the first move? No matter what, sexual assault is never your fault. Support is available 24-7 through the National Sexual Assault Hotline. Call 1-800-656-HOPE or visit RAIN.org. That's R-A-I-N-N dot O-R-G. This is Christina Ricci with RAIN, reminding you it's never your fault. Brought to you by RAIN and this station. Airline pilots keep thousands of people safe each day. When they're in the cockpit, they must be focused. And when you're driving, you should be focused too. Texting while driving on Illinois roads is illegal and deadly. 
drive now, text later. You can't do both. This message brought to you by the Illinois Tollway State Police, Department of Transportation, Secretary of State, and AAA. Opera class. Sports radio crass. This is Opera Box Score. Who made the grade? Here's Monday evening quarterback. George Cedarquist here on Opera Box Score with the likes of Oliver Camacho. The likes. You got to see Norma last week. I'm going to go see it on Wednesday. The photos of this production, I think they look awesome. How are the voices? (laughs) Nice setup. Um, Okay, this is a must-see for our audiences. Um, I found myself nitpicking some things, but when I was nitpicking them, I found myself comparing them to some of the great performances I've heard only on recording of this opera, pirate recording even. So for, for this performance to call to mind like the true greats uh, really does mean that we have something special here on our hands. And, you know, I'm in the minority. Not everybody who goes to see the show is going to have listened to whatever the 15 different pirate recordings of like Maria Callas and Leila Genscher like singing this thing. So, um, yeah, it's an amazing, amazing feat uh, that Angela Mead pulls off in singing this role. It is probably the most comprehensive bel canto role uh, it, she's on stage almost the entire show. She has an aria every time you turn around. She's got another aria, and some really dramatic declamatory singing on top of that. Uh, she is amazing. Uh, she has a tendency to do one grace uh, a little bit too often, which is to sing, to float her high notes. It's a really hard thing to do, so I'm happy to hear her do it. But I, I've talked to other people in the audience like she keeps doing this. She keeps like they're annoyed by it. So maybe it's not as impressive as it is to me, to like the general audience, but I know it's a really hard trick to pull off. So congratulations to her for even trying to do it. It's definitely Norma's show. How yeah. were the male voices in your opinion? Well, there's only one. Well, there's, there's two other. Polione and, and Oroveso. Yeah. So Oroveso is sung by Andrea Silvestrelli, who has one of the most unique and instantly recognizable, gruffy, scratchy, like rock star. Like he sounds like grunge rock bass. You know, he's got so much. He kind of char- looks like a grunge rock. He has bassist. so much character in his voice. So it's it's great because it's definitely a very grainy sound compared to the more beautiful singing of the women in the cast. And then Russell Thomas was the real surprise in the show. He is a young dramatic tenor. He's singing like uh, Don Jose and roles like that. Um, and uh, it's not always uh, a easy role to sing because it is pretty heroic, and they often just get somebody who can who can do it, and not somebody who's like stylish in it. He did a great job. He really held his own. His he sang beautifully. He phrased beautifully. He looked great in his costume. Russell yeah. Thomas, everybody. And then we had Elizabeth Deshong. Uh I'm not sure if she's making her role debut uh, as Adeljiza, but she's she is a young. To me, she's hasn't been that long since she was a young artist with this and that opera company. So for her to have such a huge assignment with, you know, Sandra Rabinowski put, I think, a lot of pressure on her. But she definitely held her own really great stage presence. She's definitely much tinier and lighter in tone than Sandra Rabinowski is. So it really works dramatically as being like the younger priestess, you know, in the clan. Do you um, think it's kind of a thankless role to play? No, not at all. I okay. think it's one of the best roles to play. You get some of the greatest music in the show, and then you get to be done after Mira or Norma, and you get to sit out the next 40 minutes in your dressing room and then, and then a take a bow. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, no, but uh, the, we, we, we kind of brushed over the production. I have to say that I'm really uh, curious about what Lyric Opera is trying to do if they're intentionally borrowing color palettes and set designs from across productions. Cause like mm-hmm. in the Rheingold, we had this like scaffolding thing and this, uh, most of the, uh, some of the scenes had this really beautiful blue background. And then in magic flute, there's lots of blue. And then in, um, Luci de Lamamore, we have this forest element. And in, uh, Trojans, we have the Trojan horse, obviously. And we have, um, the, uh, spinning set. And we had that same spinning set in Magic Flute, it wasn't the exact same set, but everybody who saw Trojans recognized the spinning set. And then we have this horse show up again in Norma 
with the blue background and with scaffolding. So it's like there's all these little clues. I feel like they're trying to say this season is all yeah. of a piece. You know, I understand your evidence. Yeah, I think it's coincidence. These shows would have been conceptualized oh, exactly. yeah. at very different times and by different people. Yeah, exactly by different people. And I think lyric operas. Theater technology, and they would admit this, is rather limited. They're in the middle of a big campaign right now to try and get new theater technology in there. And frankly, you've got a big old revolving stage. You're going to use that, and you're going to use it in multiple productions. So it does come up, I think, more often than it might if this is a theater that was fully loaded with all the bells and whistles. Well, as somebody who's seen almost every show this season, I do feel like there's a theme going on here. Anyway... Um, this production of Norma has been heard already in Barcelona and I'm probably traveling to one of the Normas later on. Um, let us listen to last year or 2015 performance of Sad Radvanovsky live from Barcelona in this same production. Uh, this is just a little bit of the first duet uh, between Adelgisa and Norma. Uh, has some really beautiful bel canto kind of cadenza moments. <laughs> This just in, the two-minute drill. Watch out. Here comes everything you need to know about opera headlines from the past week in two minutes tops. Stefan Lissner, director of the Paris Opera, says his cheap ticket scheme for 28-year-olds and under is working well. Last season, he claims, quote, we welcomed 100,000 patrons under 28, as well as registering a 15% increase in under 18s. The average attendance age at the Bastille is now 46 years old for opera. Things are going so well in his first full season at La Scala in Milan that Ricardo Chailly has signed a second contract with the house, taking him to 2022. By the way, Chailly has announced that the 2018 season will open with Andrea Chenier, starring Anna Netrebko and her husband, Yusuf Evazov. Matthew Vambizian, president of the New York Philharmonic, will become president of the University Musical Society of the University of Michigan in July of 2017. Benedict Stampa, manager of the Dortmund Concert House, will take charge of the Baden-Baden Festival in 2019. And soprano Roberta Peters has died. She sang in 35 seasons at the Metropolitan Opera beginning in 1950. Francis Poulenc died today in 1963, and it's the 100th anniversary of the premiere of A Florentine Tragedy by Alexander Zemlinsky, first presented in Stuttgart. 
That's the two-minute drill. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Dinah Fisher. Kind of a slow news week on uh, the two-minute drill here. Yeah, well, that story about the Paris Opera, and this is the evidence that now our patrons are average age 46 or median age, however you say that, you know. That's great. I actually, I really applaud those efforts. And I think that uh, every opera company is trying to do something like this, you know, attract the young audience. I think you have to do it really aggressively. And I think you have to make those deals that are available to young people explicit from the beginning of the season and not wait until the day before. I mean, there are some companies, maybe one local, where you start to get these emails like, okay, we need to sell tickets, so students, come and show up. And when you you get that email, it feels a little panicked. It feels like it's cool, like they're kind of grasping at straws. I I bet you they're not doing that in L.A. I'm just guessing. I bet you L.A. is really (laughs) Why don't you just move to L.A.? You love L.A. so much. (laughs) Oh, Oliver, you know I would would do dreadfully if I lived in Los Angeles. That would be a dreadful idea. You'd have to figure figure out your beard situation, yeah. Uh, No, man. (laughs) Just because it's warm, I'd have to get rid of the beard? Is that what you're saying? I'm sure it's fine. Okay. Um, no, but I, that's great that Paris is having success with that. I'm sure generally in Europe, the age, uh, average age is younger. 100,000 tickets sold to people under 28. Nice. That is impressive. That is really yeah. impressive. Roberta Peters, that was a story that you had thrown to me. What do we need to know? She had one of the longest careers, and she is one 35 of the, years. Yeah, and she has not been inducted into the uh, National Kennedy Center. The, you know, Kennedy, she has not received the Kennedy Award. Mm-hmm. She should have. Uh, and there's like this campaign for to, to get her added to that. Maybe they'll do it now that she's gone. Posthumously. Yeah, yeah but uh, she was married to, to Robert Merrill, the famous uh, bass. And she's in a lot of great recordings from like the 60s and the 70s and some of the 80s too. And you can find YouTube clips of her singing all the way up into the 90s when she was like 70 years old. She still sounded fresh as a daisy. Really, really amazing color to a soprano. Really, really bird-like, small, but really, really accurate and pretty voice. It's a great story. Thanks for that. Let's uh, wrap this this show up. (laughs) All right. Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score. Oliver thought I was being dismissive of Roberta Peters there. <laughs> You're a good story. <laughs> that she died? Well, uh, that, that you honored her by bringing oh, okay. that to my attention. Yeah. Everybody listen to some, first of all, listen to some Jamie Barton and listen to some Roberta Peters. But anyway, let's go on. That's a good homework yeah. assignment. Yeah. That's So that's going to be, that's not a good call no, or no, a no, bad no, no. call. That's just homework. That's just, yeah. For, that's for what you have to do before the next episode. And then I'm going to ask you what you listen to. I love it. Yeah. Do you have a good call or a bad well, call? Well, just that uh, January 31st is an important date in music. Uh, Franz Schubert uh, will be 220 years old tomorrow. Go Schubert. One of my favorite composers. But living composer Philip Glass, important in the opera world, turns 80 tomorrow. 80! Wow. And he's still writing stuff, and he's got so much left to do. You could tell. And uh, I, you know, in my old age, or in my middle age, I should say, I'm beginning to appreciate... Philip Glass more and more uh, as I realized that he created opportunities for artists like Anthony Roth Costanzo and like he's continuing to, to compose operas and he did like yeah. last year or two years ago a collaboration with Angelique Kijo, the uh, iconic African vocalist, you know. Uh, he did like orchestrated, uh, you know, folk songs from um, Benin, you know. Like he just doesn't stop. Yeah, and it's, it's so great. cool. So it's great. I love it. Bad call, call from me this week. Uh, bye-bye to the NEA, the National Endowment for the Arts, is soon to be disbanded by executive order by Donald Trump. Write those letters to your representatives and your senators. I know there's a lot of things on your list to fight right now, and some of them are possibly more important than the NEA, but add it to the list to do. When there's so much to be angry about, I that's know. the thing. Like, Where do you start? Yeah. Where do you start? Well, I fear that something gay is coming up soon. Something anti-gay. That's it for this week's show. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. No more steam room for me. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com. 
That's V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S dot com. Amber Carter is our sound technician at WNUR. The programming director is Nick Anderson, and the general manager is Brock Stussy. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook and Twitter, search for Opera Box Score. Like our Facebook page, share and comment on our posts, and tweet us at Opera Box Score. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Hey, give us 30 seconds of your time. Just leave a review on iTunes. It's the cheapest, it's the fastest way to promote our show. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera in your long underwear. We're back next Monday night, 9 Central, when we talk with the cast of Stuart Copeland's opera, The Invention of Morel, coming next month to Chicago Opera Theater. Be there and be here with us. Street Beat is up next with DJ Joe and DJ Steve. This is WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment.